0: Our New Testament lesson is going to come from the book of Philippians, from Philippians chapter three. We'll read verses twelve through twenty-one as we continue walking together through the book of Philippians. Philippians three, twelve through twenty-one, <clears throat> where Paul writes these words to us. Not that I've already attained it, I've already reached the goal. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature be of the same mind. If you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we do, to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and observe those who live according to the to the example that you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them. and I now tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Their god is the belly, and their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Growing up where I grew up, church really was the sun that our planets orbited. I mean, church was really the defining organization, defining group in my family's life. It was both the center of our religious life, obviously. We went to church each Sunday. We worshiped together. We went to Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. I mean, church was was that religious center of my family's life. But it was more than that. It was also kind of the social center of my family's life. It's where we saw our friends. It's where we who we hung out with. It was that social center of who we were. It's where, you know, as a young child, it's where I met with my friends to go play basketball. It was was that hub for my family. My mom was I involved in my home church with, with the UMW, the United Methodist Women, and we had mo- a couple circles that gathered together. And I, to this day, don't know what the Ida Vicar circle was, except that they, when they met at our house, I was not allowed to come home. <laughs> Me and dad could go anywhere we wanted to, as long as it wasn't our house. And beyond that, mama didn't care because her friends were coming over and we were not allowed in the home until the Ida Vicar Circle had been dismissed and we went about our way. That was our experience growing up. It was a great experience. It defined much of who I am to this day. But that said, Christianity was always in the, in the background. I don't mean this in a bad way. It just, everybody I knew was Christian because everybody I knew basically went to my home church. So that was just life. Everyone was a church. In my small little world, everybody went to church. Everybody was a Christian and everybody went to Johnson Chapel United Methodist Church. That was just my life. I had some friends at school that were crazy, they were Baptist, but everybody else went to Johnson Chapel. That was just my life. So the first person In my life that I ever really met who was a Christian who didn't have to be was Coach Myers at Boca Coach Myers was, you know, in, those, in the small little school I grew up in, basically, you coached everything. You know, you coached football and basketball. I mean, you coached. There, were, there weren't a lot of us to go around, so everybody kind of had to do a lot of things. And so Coach Myers was, um, was one of the coaches there at, at school, and he, he taught class, and he was the FCA director. And um, he was the first person in my life that I really met who was a Christian who didn't have to be one. He was just a guy that taught at school and coached. And if a kid, this, you know, out where I grew up, we had to buy our own cleats for baseball and football. So if a kid couldn't afford cleats, you know, somehow a pair would wind up in their locker. A kid couldn't uh, get a ride home after practice. You know, Coach Myers would make sure they got home. Having a bad day? Girlfriend broke up with you. Failed her test. Whatever. Coach Myers would stay after practice and kind of give you a little bit of encouragement. He was a good man. He was a very good man. Now, he wasn't perfect. He was a football coach. I mean, you know, seriously, you know, uh, you know. But um, and he didn't have a perfect life. His wife died of cancer when he was in his forties, leaving two small children. He was a widower at age 40-something. But he was a good man. Not a perfect man. He would never tell you he was a perfect man. But he was a good man. He didn't go around beating his Bible, telling you how holy he was. He just loved people. He loved God, and he loved people. And it just radiated off of him. And it made every place that he was a a better place. He he was, when I was a young believer, when I was a young man, I thought to myself, I want to be like Coach Myers when I grow up. I still kind of think that now. I want to be like Coach Myers when I grow up, you know, and I respect him so much. In fact, this past, when I was praying about taking a little sabbatical this summer, he was one of the first people I reached out to, to get his opinion in terms of what he thought. He was a role model of mine. And he was somebody that I thought I want to be like. I began to imitate him and think I want to be like him. We've all got a role model. We've all got somebody that we look up to. And by the way, let's, let's pull this from the spiritual. Let's, I mean, listen, uh, I'm, 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 I'm right-handed, but growing up, I watched how Will Clark batted. And I'd, I'd be in my bedroom at night watching the Giants play in the mirror, pretend to be left-handed to hit the ball like Will Clark hit the ball. I spent many a Saturday night listening to Ole Miss getting beat, pretending that I was John Darnell or Russ Shales. He wanted to be a quarterback for them. You can look at me, tell me I'm a quarter, tell I'm a quarterback. You know if you you in your life have someone, if you're a musician, there's some musician, there's some singer that you said, boy, I wish I could sing like so-and-so or such-and-such. If you like drama, there's some actor that you think, gosh, I wish I could act like them. If you're a writer, You've probably modeled your writing style as somebody. There's somebody in your job that you think, oh boy, they know, how, they know what they're doing. I want, them. I want to be like them. Every one of us, and I'm not just talking spiritual, every one of us has someone in our life that says, gosh, that person there, boy, they know what they're doing. Gosh, that person there, they've got it figured out. I want to be like them. Be it spiritual, be it professional, be it hobby related. We've all got, come on, you golfers. How many of y'all wore red to play golf to be like Tiger? Seriously. We all got somebody we look up to to say, I want to be like them. Likewise, all of us somebody looking at you. There's somebody in your life that looks to you and says, Ooh, I want to be like them. I want to live like they live or do like they do or, or be like them. And that's, that's scary to think that somebody would imitate us, to think that somebody wouldn't want to be like us, to think that somebody would view us as a role model. That's a very scary thing. I tell people, that's why I don't have one of those Jesus fishes in the back of my car. I'm such a bad driver, I embarrass Jesus. You know, we all, though every one of us, be it a child, be it a niece or nephew, be it, a, be it your parents, be it your children, somebody in your life looks to you and says, mm, I want to be like them. Or even if they don't say it or think it, there's someone right now watching you. Okay, so notice what Paul does in the text today. Paul does something very interesting. Paul does this. Paul says something that I'm not sure I would say or any of us would want to say, but Paul says this. Paul says this in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example of Paul's, uh, of living the example of the faith you have seen in us. Boy, Paul doesn't just say, hey, there's somebody that's gonna watch me or somebody's gonna watch you. Paul says this, hey, hey, you wanna see what a Christian looks like? Imitate me. You wanna see how a Christian lives her life? Watch me. You wanna grow in your faith? Do what I do, say what I say, live like I live. You wanna see how a Christian acts? imitate me. Wow. That's a big statement. How many of us are going to say that? How many of us are going to go to the public square and say, hey, y'all, you want to see a Christian life? Watch me. Come follow me, come live beside me and see what I do, and I will show you what a Christian looks like. That's a scary concept. That's a scary phrase, to put your life on display for someone else to see, to put your life on display for someone else to monitor. That's terrifying, to think about living in such a way. But see, here's the cool thing about Paul. Paul was a lawyer. And Paul, Paul would construct these beautiful arguments and these beautiful, these beautiful f- conversations in the Bible. Paul is really cool. Anytime he asks a question or anytime he says something like this, he's going to always give you an answer. The book of Romans is beautiful to read in that way. Romans, in many ways, is a conversation where Paul will ask a question that he'll then answer. Paul will give a concept that he'll then answer So Paul is going to always If he tells you to do something Paul's going to always give you a means and, and a plan for how to do it So Paul says this Join with imitating me <laughs> Watch me live And you'll know how to live Watch my faith And you'll see my faith Watch me and you'll see what to do Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean? What is Paul asking us to do if he's going to do that? He answers that, that question a few verses later where he says this. Verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And it's from there we are expecting a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this. Paul does this neat little contrast here where he says this. There, there are those who are the enemy of the cross and they, they, their eyes are fixed upon earthly things. They are focused on earthly things like their belly and their desires and their things like this. Those are living opposite and enemies of even Jesus. Paul says that's what they do. But we, Paul says our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship does not lie here upon the earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so to live a life worthy of imitation, to live a life that can be imitated by others, we first and foremost have to understand this notion of heavenly citizenship, living with our minds set on heavenly things, living with our hearts set on heavenly things, not earthly things, but living with heavenly citizenship. Well, what does that mean? Well, I began to do some reading as I thought about this. What does it mean to be a citizen? And the notion of citizen in Paul's day is kind of different from our day, but I began to kind of read, well, you know, what is it like in our context? And what does it mean in the American context, citizens of the United States of America, what does it mean for us in our context today to think about citizenship? And what would that mean spiritually? Jefferson did some really neat writing on citizenship. In fact, Jefferson one time said the only thing he wanted printed on his tombstone was that he was a citizen. He felt of all the titles he'd achieved, ambassador to France, secretary of state, vice president, president, that the greatest title he'd ever been given was that of citizen. So what does it mean to be a citizen? Historically, in the American context, there's a couple of things that have always been linked to citizenship. One of which is kind of education. A democracy rises or falls on the education of the public. So reading, understanding, processing, thinking, because if you're going to be voting on things, you have to have thought through it. So education is one thing. That then leads to the other. Voting, participating, taking ownership, making it your own going and claiming your responsibility. So education, voting, that, that, that notion of, 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 of claiming it, making it your own. And then the last thing that we see associated with citizenship historically is service, working to make the context and the society that you're part of better. So forget to think about those in spiritual terms. What does that mean? What does it mean to be educated in a spiritual mindset? What does it mean to be educated from a Christian mindset? How many of you, at some point in the last week or two, last month or two, last few months, ask yourself, I don't know what to do about this. Hmm. I don't know what choice to make. I don't know what road to walk down. I, I don't know I don't Lord, I, I don't I don't know what to do. Maybe you haven't recently. But at some point in your life, or at some point if you're younger in your life that is to come, you're gonna spend a sleepless night or two asking yourself, God, what do I do? What do I do? I heard a preacher say this one time. It stuck with me. You will never know God's unknown will for your life if you do not know his known will for your life. What is his known will? Holy Scripture. If you aren't spending time reading his word, letting him speak to you through his word, you will never be able to have the ability to discern what he would have for you. Love the Lord your God, of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength your mind. God has given us intellect. God has given us the ability to read. If we're going to have heavenly citizenship, we've got to spend time educating ourselves upon his word. We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to be reading. We've got to be praying. We've got to be focusing upon it because if we are not immersing ourselves, drenching ourselves, living ourselves in his word, we will not even know which path to take because we don't even know the road. To live with a heavenly citizenship, to live a life that will allow others to imitate us, we've got to be spending time in his word. We've got to be reading and educated. That is one of the defining characteristics of citizenship throughout time. As Christian citizens, as those living a faith worthy of imitation, that's one thing we must do. Second thing that we said was voting. Ownership. Commitment. If your only connection to St. Matthew's is a worship service, be it our 830, our 11-hour intersection, in time you will leave this church. In time you'll leave. Because I promise you, we will fail you. I will say something to offend you. Someone here will hurt your feelings. I promise you, mark my words, it's going to happen. This church is going to fail you. If it hasn't already, because we are imperfect. And if the only connection you have here is this worship experience, you will move on to a church that does it better or you think that doesn't hurt your feelings or that won't fail you. I've been this sitting my first rodeo. There's faces right now that I'm grieving because I miss because they haven't been with us for a while and it breaks my heart. The only way to fully stay connected to a church is to take that next step of connection. Whether it be a Sunday school class, whether it be a small group, whether it be singing in the choir, whether it be service. The only way to have citizenship is to take that step of commitment. The only way to have heavenly citizenship, the only way to have commitment to the church is to take that next step of commitment. That's the only way. That is the only way that you will ever truly find your citizenship, not just in eternity, but here in this church, is through that next level of commitment. I'm not a good enough preacher to keep you. I'm not. We're going to sing songs you don't like. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. We're not going to do that on purpose. Hear me. I'm not planning to do it. I just know you've got a Savior, and it ain't Andy. It's Jesus. You've got to take that next step to truly cement your faith. You've got to. Education, reading the Word, commitment, digging down deep, and service. That's the other defining characteristics of citizenship. Service. Service. I read, a, 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 disciples make the world a better place. I read a great story one time about a guy that was a leader. And what he did when he, he, he believed that disciples should make the world a better place. So when he was on the road and he was to use the bathroom, he'd clean up the public bathrooms because the disciple should make the world a better place. I'm not doing that. I'm not a germaphobe. I'm like a public bathroom phobe. I'm not doing that. But I just think that's a beautiful conviction to say, no, as a a believer in Jesus Christ, we're supposed to make the world a better place. So I'm gonna leave every place that I am a better place. We're supposed to do that in life of the church. We're supposed to do that in life of the world. To live a heavenly citizenship is to live in that way. And that's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to think that people are gonna imitate us. I've been on a kick recently. I've been quoting the great theologian Charles Barkley a lot. Um, Chuck talked about rebounding, and I love this analogy for rebounding. He talked about how um, the the rebounding is all about positioning, putting yourself between your man and the ball. And role models. I wanted to be like Charles because I was short and fat, and I like basketball. So I thought maybe I could be like him. He always said, "Between your man and the ball, something good will happen." as Christians. A few weeks back, we talked about working out your salvation with much fear and trembling. That's all about positioning, putting yourself in a position to hear God. Like he said, rebounding is about positioning, putting yourself in the right position. Your faith is about putting yourself in the right position to hear God. If you aren't putting yourself in that positioning, position through prayer, through scripture, through worship, through service, you won't hear God. If you're not hearing God, are you reading the Bible? Are you worshiping? Are you praying? Are you seeking him? Because if you put yourself in that position, you will hear from him. If you don't, you won't. That's simple. Well, Chuck said one time, he said, remember, you might remember that commercial? He said, "I'm not a role model." Well, to short, fat guys like myself, he was. I wanted to play basketball like he did. You may tell yourself, "No, I'm not a role model. You are. There's someone looking to you. There's someone eyeballing you. You are. And that can be scary. People will imitate you. But, friends, trust me, I don't think the world is looking for us as Christians to be perfect. I think the world is looking for us as Christians to be authentic to simply be the people that God has called us to be, to love God and to love our neighbor and to live out the gospel in a relevant way that connects to people where they are. God's not asking for, 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 for perfection. He's asking for faithfulness, for doing the little things with grace like Coach Myers did. Coach Myers didn't go around beating his chest. Coach Myers simply loved the Lord and that radiated off of him into loving each other. Y'all, sometimes the most Christian thing you can do is be nice to the cashier at Walmart. Sometimes the most Christian thing you can do is when you're in Walmart and you've got a buggy full of groceries and the person coming right towards you with their buggy full of groceries is on their phone or not paying attention and they're going to run into you and you want to run into them back. Amen. Sometimes the most Christian thing you can do is to push your cart to the side and let them through and show grace. The world is not asking us to be perfect. Jesus is not asking us to be perfect. Jesus is asking us to be committed to authentically live out our faith in a way that resonates, to authentically be committed to love the Lord and love each other. That's what he's asking for, and that's what he wants, and that's what the world needs. Is that? John Wesley had a quote one day, it's always shaped me. Wesley said, Do not tell me that you are a Christian. I will follow you. I will observe your lifestyle. And then I will tell you if you're a Christian. What if somebody watched you throughout the day? Would they know you were a Christian? What if somebody watched your Facebook account? Would they know that you're a Christian? What if somebody got a hold of your text messages or your Snapchat? Would they know that you're a Christian? What does our life say about Jesus? And what does our life say about our commitment to him? Coach Myers used to always tell us, your life might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. What gospel is our life preaching? Paul said, imitate me. Today, friends, may we follow Jesus in a way that when folks imitate us, they are pointed to our Savior. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your grace and mercy, which is new each day. Father God, help us to love you, to serve each other to live out your grace in all things. We love you so much. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.